0: CBN, FM, Ann Arbor. Good afternoon. You've Got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today I'm so pleased to have Philip and Erin Stead here in the studio with me. Um, welcome, Phil and Erin. Thanks.
1: Thanks, yeah, for, having thanks us. for having us.
0: It's great to see you guys, and I should say we're taping the show. It's the 9th of April, 2013. Um, Phil and Erin, you're going to be um, reading um, this, this week in town, um, and that'll be on Thursday, so... Um, people can catch you is it five o'clock that you'll be doing the reading? I think a little after five ten five ten. Five ten. The Michigan time thing. Yeah, yeah. Michigan. In yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. <Ann> Arbor time.
0: <laughs> and this will be at uh Uma will it be the art museum and the Helmetstern Auditorium. Correct. Wonderful. Okay. So that's Thursday, five ten, Helmetstern Auditorium at Uma and that then you'll hear and meet Philip and Aaron Stead, Um You've got so many beautiful books here. We've got a lot. This is one of the times when we're going to have to sort of give the the, um, the, the books are, are just beautiful. Uh, before I go any further, I'm going to read your short bios in the back of the books that will be soon coming out. These are advanced copies of um, Aaron, your book, If You Want to See a Whale. Um, and that, let's see, a Neil Porter book with Roaring Brook Press. And then Phil, your book here <laughs> hello my name is ruby and this is also with it um roaring book Brooke press which i love because
2: it seems like roaring book as well it's, so great. <laughs> it, it's a really difficult thing to say fast
1: yeah, yeah. Well, roaring is a tough yeah. word w- roaring
2: book, <laughs> roaring book. <laughs> that happens a lot
0: yeah. is that how i first said it too <laughs> <laughs> no no is that- <laughs> These guys are kind of smirking over that. No, I'm just kidding. They were. They were. Um, okay. But for the f- um the first Let's Aaron's Bio First If You Want to See a Whale. This book will be coming out later this spring, right? Yeah,
1: May 7th. Pretty soon.
0: Oh jeez. Okay. All right. Aaron Easted first met Julie Fogliano, who is um who actually writes the text for If You Want to See a Whale while working together in a New York City bookstore. Today, she lives in a hundred-year-old barn in Ann Arbor, Michigan, with her husband, Philip, who is an author and illustrator, and with whom she created A Sick Day for Amos McGee, winner of the 2011 Caldecott Medal, as well as Bear Has a Story to Tell. She also illustrated Julie Fogliano's And Then It's Spring. Erin created the illustrations for this book using woodblock printing techniques and pencil. And hopefully we'll hear a little more about that, that later. And now for Phil's. Phil's bio um, from the back of Hello, My Name is Ruby. Will this also be out in
2: May, Phil? Uh, This will be out in September, actually. Oh, in September. September 10th? 11th?
0: Something like that. So put that on your calendars, folks, (laughs) because that's a little bit far out, but um, it will be worth the wait. Um, Philip Seastead is the author of the 2011 Caldecott Medal book, A Sick Day for Amos McGee. So now I'm saying these names again, but that way you can be sure to catch them. (laughs) His most recent book, A Home for Bird, received four starred reviews and was called A Deeply Satisfying Story by Kirkus Reviews. Philip lives with his wife, illustrator Aaron Easted, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, in a hundred-year-old barn as we know now well, yeah. welcome again you, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so there's um there's a, a bit of but maybe we'll say a bit about the music that we'll hear today on the program program Phil um, because you're responsible for that not only did you choose it you actually created it yeah
2: sure actually I'm, I'm really living my dream right now <laughs> I think my in, in my the sort of alternate path for my life I always wanted to be a WCBN freeform radio DJ And this is my first time in the studio, and we're playing music that I made uh, for the show. So I pretty much could walk out this door and get hit by a bus, (laughs) and everything would be cool, except Um, except
0: for Aaron, (laughs) who would love to to pick up the pieces. You know, I would know. It would would be still. It would be a celebratory
2: (laughs) moment, I think, for all of us. And then, I mean, not the bus
0: driver, Phil. (laughs) Well, yeah, but
2: I'd be all the more likely to have my picture, I think, memorialized in the WCBN (laughs) studio forever.
0: There's no need. This is, I'll snap a pic. We'll put it up, Phil.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So, anyway, uh, yeah, the music. um, Music is really more of a hobby for me. Uh, I I came from a musical family. And I think much to the chagrin of of my parents, never really learned how to play any instruments properly. But I can play a lot of instruments um, with sort of like a middling level of of competence. Is that panache? Uh, Maybe is that another word for it? Like sort of Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> um, so you know, a new thing that's sort of been happening uh, in the last few years is that uh, bookmakers are starting to get are starting to make book trailers for their books, similar to movie trailers. And I really wanted to make book trailers for our books, primarily as an excuse to write my own music for the books.
1: But also because we are control freaks about our <laughs> books. Um, we tend to do all the designing and, um, a- and everything else. And so I think we make our publisher a little disappointed, but also we make everything ourselves. So Phil started making the trailers himself and putting them all together.
2: Yeah, and in, and, and in watching other people's trailers... Um, it's it's difficult to make a good one, I think, um, with a low budget, if you have to use uh, copyright-free music and that sort of thing. And so, a lot of these trailers, the music really doesn't doesn't seem appropriate. With doesn't the, fit the book. Yeah, doesn't the, doesn't fit the book. And I think people really struggle to put these things together. And I thought, well, I can make a one and a half minute song. That's what I can do. Any longer than that, and I kind of lose my way. But for one and a half minutes, I can I can really. I think, put something together. And that that involves some pretty strange things, like with my accordion. I do not know how to play the accordion, uh, <laughs> but I spend all day kind of working out a six- or seven-note melody, and then I put little post-it notes on all the little keys, and then spend the rest of the day trying to play that melody... Uh, you know, with the help of the post-it notes, until it until it's down, and then in the end, it really doesn't sound too bad. And I think most people would think that I know what I'm doing. But <laughs> yeah, in, in, it
0: reminded me of Daniel Handler
2: of A Lemony Snicket. Well, well, except he knows how to play <laughs> yeah, the accordion. Yeah, he's
0: very good at playing the
1: accordion.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, he's yeah he's got real talent. I just have uh, perseverance <laughs> and, and education. Yeah, I have like that Midwest midwestern blue collar <laughs> perseverance. Like I will learn how to play this accordion by the end of the day. Um
0: it's not everyone who has an accordion where they can do you know this is great. I mean you found the accordion. Yeah, well one of well, the benefits Yeah, one of that. the benefits
2: of living with a musical family is that they buy all kinds of things that they don't actually need and then I get them eventually. So I mean yeah. I've got everything. At one point or another I've had everything from mandolins to keytars. Um and I don't yeah. really know how to play any of them.
0: <laughs> and are they also in Ann Arbor then?
2: Uh they're they're in the Detroit area, not not in Ann Arbor, but yeah.
0: Because it's interesting because you said that it's been a lifelong dream and I know you were using a, some amount of hyperbole there to sort of underscore the excitement of the moment, but do you are you are you um like are you from ann Arbor or what's are what's your um, so what, I went or, to the uh, university
2: yeah, I went to the university i was uh, I graduated from the art school uh, back in two thousand and two maybe I don't remember something like that <laughs> yeah. uh, Aaron and I. Are both from Metro Detroit, though we went to high school together in Dearborn, um, so we do have uh, Michigan roots that yeah. go pretty pretty far back.
0: And so, and then from the bio, the short bios, there was some time in New York City, and then you returned.
1: We did. It was on accident, but we stayed also on accident. Um, we were living in New York City, and we both got book deals, uh, and we decided. Um, partially because when you get a book deal uh, you don't uh, much to contrary belief you do not make a lot of money um, especially in picture books and so um, since we both got deals at the same time we had to figure out what we were going to do making so much less money for the year so we decided to uh, move to the mountains outside of New York City and it was a disaster
0: Oh no! <laughs> but there might be another um, picture book from it, right? Actually, it's is kinda, there the mountain
1: where? It's, well, which, where some is, of the stories yeah, is similar to a home for birds. Yeah, in
2: many ways, uh, the book, bu- oh. our book, or my book, a home for birds, sort of oh. came out of that experience of trying to find a home outside of New York and having everything be such a. Disaster. Unmitigated disaster. Yeah, yeah, it was
0: a disaster. So,
2: so what ended up happening is that when we find none of g-
0: this pain is in a home for Bird. It's a very delightful, lighthearted story about friendship. Well, <laughs> there are some sad moments there, though. There
1: are. Every picture book has a conflict, and you need that, don't you? you? That, yeah. Why? I, I think that. Um, I think that people think that kids don't need or uh, to be. Um, Experiencing that sort of emotional highs and lows within a picture book, and I I also I often think that those adults haven't spent any time with children (laughs) because if you watch a kid throughout the course of a day, they are on top of the world and crying sometimes within you know thirty seconds of one another. Um,
0: Full spectrum of emotions, really. Yeah, and
1: and it's difficult, and they feel a lot of different things, and um, in a lot of ways, it's it's harder than being an adult. Um and I think we forget that uh because their life is simpler, but um we we talk about it too. Their life is often like being a foreigner. Um they have they're told what to do all day long. Um they're not really in control of anything most of the time.
2: They don't always understand what's happening. They don't
1: always understand why we have to do any of this stuff. Uh and so I think as picture book makers, we I don't know we try not to forget that or we don't forget it.
2: Yeah, I think we just try to respect the audience. I think that yeah. they, they al- already you know, by the age of 3 or 2 are al- already uh sort of developing a sense of, of tragedy in their life. Yeah. Um and a sense of how to overcome that tragedy on a small scale, but but still even Knowing at that loss
0: young age. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I think the and I'm not sure Aaron which dark moment you mean i would think it was almost in um when the bird can't isn't responding to the frog <laughs> and so f- he's feels vernon vernon's the name of the main character who's a frog right or is he a toad he's a well, frog he's, he's or a toad. He a toad i consider is him a toad, toad
2: although it's never really
0: it's never really said yeah but he is brownish isn't he so yeah. i should have known more toad than frog here <laughs> in the in the beautiful colors that um but it, but it's like, and maybe he can't, he doesn't seem to feel like he can help Bird. And so
2: that... I think there's a frustration that Vernon is feeling throughout the story, wanting, uh, wanting to help his silent partner. For those of you out there in the listening audience that aren't familiar with this book, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, Vernon is a toad who is just a real mensch. I mean, he's really, he wants to do right by his friends. And he is a collector of... Uh, interesting things, in a forager. And while he's foraging one day in the woods, he happens to come across this little brown, or little blue, wooden cuckoo bird.
1: Um, we should interject here that Vernon, while being one heck of a guy, is... Um, <laughs> a little thick? Is no, it, no. Yeah, he's just... He's very sincere. He would do anything for you, but he doesn't... He's not very bright.
0: Right, and to me... <laughs> I hate
1: saying out loud.
0: I, well, well, I think the only reason why Aaron is mentioning that is because... Because um, the the bird has sort of a button. It looks like maybe a button uh, or something. You, you can tell that maybe Bird is still, like it may be a woodblock bird.
2: Yeah, b- Bird is inanimate. What we, <laughs> what we learn actually on the copyright page before the story has begun is that uh, this sort of ramshackle moving truck has been bouncing down the road and Bird has accidentally flown out the back of a cuckoo clock, which is how Vernon comes to find him. Uh, Vernon does not realize that Bird is uh, inanimate. And so he becomes worried that uh, Bird's lack of responsiveness is due to a a sadness or a need. And thus begins the journey in the story. The journey is to find Bird's home.
0: So he needs a home. Mm -hmm. And is this part of the... When you were talking about the design earlier and the idea of controlling how the picture book will will look... um, so is this something that is normal? because you said on the copyright page, there's part of the story, the narrative information that you need is actually here rather than, because if we're, if we flip through it, everyone out there, then it seems like the story begins mm-hmm. on
2: this, but that's interesting. Yeah, well, I loved that. That it ends up being, I think in an ideal world, I probably wouldn't have wanted to use the copyright page, but, oh, okay. but, um
1: most it ended up books. working
2: out yeah most picture books are
1: 32 pages um, and so within that construction you have to figure out how to make it and that's a huge challenge
2: yeah I think it's, it's a it's sort of a lesser known uh, concept in the making of picture books is that unlike other forms of literature it's really a three-dimensional object that has to be yes. considered uh, cover to cover cover to cover and 32 pages with traditional end papers, is the most common format. There are, are other formats, but 32 pages is the one you see the most, and the one I think that most readily uh, it, it just feels right in your hands. Yeah. It feels like the right length for the story.
1: Parents are usually happier about it. Kids can sit through most of the time. Yeah,
2: something we've really discovered something right about 32 pages. Yeah. Huh. Um, so sometimes, because of that, though, you have to make um, difficult choices with your story, such as using the copyright page right. uh, to impart some sort of uh, story element. Let's
0: take a short break, and we'll come back and pick up on this, if you guys don't mind. Today right. in the studio, um, Philip and Aaron Stead are here. Um, when we come back, we'll talk about some of the many beautiful books that we have on the table here with us. You're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Thanks to Tex, Behind the Glass, in The Engineering Booth. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. Back, you've got loving writers. I'm T Hutzel today in the studio. I'm happy to have with me Philip Stead and Aaron Stead. Um, in fact, let's see, Philip C. Stead and Aaron <laughs> e. Stead are here in the studio. And that piece of music was created and performed by Phil. And Phil, which story is that matching to?
2: That one matches up with uh, a story that I wrote and illustrated called uh, Jonathan in the Big Blue Boat, which is. I think if I had to pick one story that that I really like the most that I've done, it's this one. And it's not because it's been the most successful, because it certainly hasn't, uh, but it's the one that it hasn't been the least successful yeah. either. Aaron's <laughs> laughing. I definitely know which book of mine has been the least successful. Which one, We can talk about really? that. Really? Okay.
0: Yeah. okay. Well, uh, if you want. You
2: can bring oh, no, it up. If you it's,
0: think it's important.
2: Cause oh, that, I want to talk yeah. about it. Okay, okay. it
0: it's it's a kind of an
1: interesting I've story. I've got a bone too.
2: to pick with the, with the world.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, let's get back to that. Yeah, then. yeah.
2: <laughs> no, um, Jonathan the Big Blue Boat, I think, really sort of s- just flowed right out of my subconscious. Uh, I think growing up in Michigan and growing up around the Great Lakes... I think when you grow up around here, you just kind of have a sense of of maritime something just kind of mm-hmm. lodged inside of you, and this book just came right out of that.
0: There's pirates. And there's pirates. You know, well, there's pirates, and, there's and, and it
2: really I wanted to write oh, this story. Whales. Mm-hmm. I wanted to write this story as an excuse to illustrate all of my favorite things, and so it's whales. <laughs> It's big blue steamships, uh, it's pirates. Giant squid. Um, <laughs> squids and goldfish and elephants and mountain goats and just about everything that that I'd been sort of sketching and thinking about for for the last 30 years ended up in some capacity in this story. Um, and I just had a lot of fun doing it. I think most of the the books we do, we really fight with and struggle with. And even if the end product seems friendly and and cheerful. A lot of times we really had to go toe-to-toe with the artwork, but this one I just woke up every day and wanted to work on it.
0: And did you have the story that you sketched out first, Phil, for for this book, or did you have some of the, the, the images, the the pictures first?
2: This one was interesting because what actually happened is that, uh, we've done all of our books with the same editor at the same publishing house, so Neil Porter is our editor. He works for Roaring Brook Press, which is a small press in new york that's now owned by Macmillan, which most people have heard of um but we do most of our business with him just at his apartment you know sitting around his coffee table and very which is great yeah which it's is not the it's way, a most great people way to work. work yeah um so things are not decided by committee or anything like that but pretty early on um in our career, we were sitting around his apartment, and I had some uh, images from my portfolio out. And one of them was just this drawing I had done, uh, this collage I had done of a big blue boat. Um, I had not done it for any real specific purpose. It was just something I had made.
0: And it does look like a collage. I see what you mean just for our listeners. The boat seems to be almost made up like it could be a quilt, even though there's things that you can see, like there's the, the portals and um, the flag and the steam... Columns that you'd expect on a ship there's also um, sort of not paisley but some sort of swirls and dots and some writing like a torn piece of paper that's part of the hull or uh, yep. there's letters
1: in there and Phil's stamp collection yeah
0: <laughs> postcards
2: <laughs> yeah the the art is all it, it's collage art and it's all old and found material uh, sometimes um, uh, changed or altered in some way painted over or drawn over with crayon. Um, but anyhow, we were, we were sitting at Neil's house, and uh, he pointed to the big blue boat, and he said, I'd, "I'd like to see a story about that." And I can't even remember what I was trying to sell him at that moment, but it was something else. And <laughs> but he wanted a story about the big blue boat, and I said, "Okay." And uh, within a few weeks, I had a draft of this story. Yeah.
0: Can you walk us through a little bit of the, the the process of because you said, Aaron, it's not all, it's not all like that around yeah. a coffee table and.
1: Um, well, and, we have you a,
0: mentioned your first break, too, it seemed like. Yeah. Or was that the first break in New York I, We have a very unique
1: relationship with our editor um, compared to the way other people work uh, within the publishing world. Um, we've only worked with Neil. He basically found us, um, me especially. Uh, and um, in my case, he uh, wrote me up a book deal by taking me out to dinner and saying, I want you to make a picture book. And he had seen... Um, only one drawing that I had made.
0: And how did he see that, Aaron? What was the? That was Phil's. Oh, that fault. was my fault. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: what happened was I, um, I, I left college. Uh, I was I was in art school uh, on the East Coast, and I left sort of broken. Um, I, I lost all my confidence. I didn't know what I was making, uh, and decided that I wasn't going to ever draw again. Um, and I stopped drawing for about. Mm, three years was it? Three years? About three years. Um and uh, and through the arc of that, sort of figured out that I needed to draw. Um and it didn't matter if I wasn't going to show it to anybody, but uh, it was an outlet for me. Um that I had denied myself, and uh, I needed to. I was I I say that I was boring to myself. Like I I just wasn't. Um, I wasn't interested in my own brain anymore. So um so I started drawing a little with with some help. Uh and um I, I would draw these little tiny drawings on the kitchen table in in our apartment in Brooklyn. Um but at the time I was working for a publisher and um that was my full-time job. Uh a different publisher, not the one that we were later uh published by. Um so then what happened you
2: well it, it gets it gets a little <laughs> complicated but uh i was working on my first book with neil which is cream tuna fish and peas on toast uh we'll talk about that in a second that's my least accomplished <laughs> book. um I, and i still kind of love it um and interestingly enough it's the story that i think when i read it to children that's they the, like it that's the, most. the winner but yeah. parents wow. parents vehemently dislike this yep. book um,
0: but who's your audience? The kids, but how do you get the how books do to get in their hands? The parents? Right. Yeah. Yeah. that's, that's like, the biggest problem. If I could just, yeah,
2: if, if kids could just take their parents' money and make their own choices, then I, Listen I'd, be up, a, kid. I'd be a rich man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so I was working on cream tuna fish and peas on toast uh, with, with Neil, and through a friend, Neil had heard that, that my wife, Erin, was also an artist. And so Neil emailed me and said, is, is this true? Is Erin an artist as well? And I said, yes, but she's very shy and she's not going to want to show you anything. But, you know, she just finished this drawing. It's sitting on the kitchen table. And I scanned it into the computer and sent it over to him. And that was the drawing. You know, it had nothing to do with the story. It wasn't, um, it wasn't tied. It to, wasn't finished either, yeah, by it, the way. It, it really <laughs> wasn't even finished. Um, but it was, a, it was a drawing of an elephant and an old man, Yeah. Um, oh. which A Sick Day for Amos McGee Uh, There are other animals as well, but But I think most people would would recognize it because of the elephant and the old man on the cover. Uh, So Neil and I sort of developed this strategy to convince Aaron to do a book. Um,
1: This whole time I was at work. I I had no idea this was going on.
2: Yeah, and so I knew I had to write a story quickly, so I wrote a a very quick draft of what became A Sick Day for Amos McGee. The arc of the story was pretty much the same as what you see today in the book. Um, although the the writing itself was not very good yet, it was really just the bones of the story. And what I was trying to do was write a story that I knew Aaron, I knew would play to Aaron's strengths. So instead of, um, I, I really thought about the images first instead of instead of the the story. So I had this image in my head of an old man playing chess with an elephant. That was the first image I had in mind because I just knew Aaron would be great at at making that picture. And then I built the story around that. So what kind of story would exist? Uh, In what kind of story could this image exist and that's how a sick day for amos mcgee was was born Mm
0: -hmm. and we mentioned that that was a, a rough outline of the text and then and then aaron started drawing these images when what do you how how do you know that the words are right in the picture book i think most of our job
1: is based on gut feeling i mean we have a really neil is a very good line editor um which a lot of editors don't even do anymore, uh, and so there's a lot of discussion about specific words within a sentence. But um, I mean, you're the
2: yeah. Writing for me is kind of it's. I think it's a little bit unique com- compared to most writers in that I'm an artist first. I, I went to art school. I didn't. I didn't study literature. Um, I took classes in Angel Hall here, but um, and plenty. You took a lot, but it's not. It wasn't my focus. Yeah. Uh, and so I've always been a little bit distrustful of language. So whenever possible, I'm actually trying to get as as much language deleted. And I'm usually sort of being pulled by my editor to sort of or me. Uh, put more into the story. And I'm told now that that's sort of the opposite of how he would normally have to work, that most, most authors... Uh, too much text. Yeah, yeah, too much text, and they're, and they're pulling not. back. So that was interesting for me to learn, but I think that flows directly out of... Uh, you know really thinking of myself as an artist first and a writer second it's that i don't maybe not so much that i don't trust language but i don't trust myself with language um or i have to be convinced that i can trust myself with language
1: uh and then uh, for the books that we make together when phil writes them i i don't write but when phil writes them and i illustrate them um there's a lot of back and forth uh and then there are there are moments where we get to drop text altogether because as the book is developing, I can say I don't think we need this here, um, and and that's beneficial for both of us, I think.
2: Yeah, and that's also a little bit unique in in the world of picture books in that most authors and illustrators don't actually even meet unless they yeah. might have a a book signing together, you know, well after the book's been published.
1: Why is that? So, uh, as speaking as an illustrator i think that there's a benefit to it sometimes um a lot of times if you read manuscripts from authors um as an illustrator you can say well i this can be my job we we don't have to describe this i can do this um and in picture books that's really important um because there's a rhythm to the illustrations versus the words in picture books where you want the the child who probably can't read yet to be studying the pictures as somebody is reading to them, and so you have to find that balance. Um, but why do you think illustrators don't meet authors uh, since you're married to one?
2: It, I don't know. I mean sometimes I'm suspicious of it. yeah, uh, but other times it seems like it's the right choice. and I really think it boils down to the editor. You, you need to have an editor that understands uh, who they're working with and yeah. how they should work together. Um, there are some picture book authors that are better that are authors only. They don't they don't illustrate that are excellent at writing picture book yeah. texts and should absolutely be involved with the illustrator. The first person that comes to mind is Mac Barnett, who um, wrote a number of books last year that were just stellar picture book texts. Yeah, And I'm pretty sure that he gets pretty involved with the entire creation of the book. But there are other authors that really... Um,
1: well, Julie. For one, the, um, I've made I've made books with Phil, and I've made books with my friend Julie Foliano. And Julie is a poet, um, although she wouldn't tell you that. Um, and when she writes a text, um, it's completely out of her hands at that point. I take it, and uh, and she has no. But she wa- say. She
2: would like it that way. Yeah. That's, it's not that she's frustrated with that arrangement. No. She, she doesn't think visually. She just thinks with you know, the cadence of text and the, 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 rhythm of the words. And that's, that's what she does well. And then once she hands it to Aaron, she yeah. really waits to, to see what Aaron does with it. And
0: does she break it then? Would Julie then no, send I you do the, it. you break the text. Yeah. So
2: she sends you this long,
0: yep. then, it, then it would look
2: like a poem.
0: Yep. It does. It yeah. Um,
2: so with, with the first collaboration they did, which is called, and then it's spring, uh, the text doesn't have any characters in it. It doesn't indicate a setting, uh, neither does the second one either yeah and it, <laughs> the second one if you want to see a whale also has no characters indicated no setting yeah uh they're both actually um they're, they're both notions about not seeing something right and so, so
1: as an illustrator that is a challenge
2: yeah so the book <laughs> the book is called and then it's spring but you don't actually get even
0: you don't get to spring you don't get to spring until page. page 32 yeah
2: um same with the whale. With the whale as well, it's about not seeing the whale. So All
0: that's the... tension. So that's yeah. what you're talking about with the the, the picture books yep. for the audience, the children's audience. There's layers of complication and yeah. yeah.
2: And Erin, uh, her job as the illustrator was to add a protagonist to this,
0: or not depending on, on how, how somebody would see it.
2: Right, and but Erin chose to do that, yeah. and so you can follow a character through this this uh, experience.
0: Yeah. Who wants to see a whale? Um, okay, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel today on the program. Philip C. Stead and Aaron E. Stead are here in the studio. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to Living Writers on WCBN-FM, Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Phil Stead and Aaron Stead are here. Um, some of the books on the table with us, um, coming out in May with Roaring Brook Press, a um, uh, it's an it's a small press that Macmillan is sort of the umbrella press for them. Right. Is that how it's working? So Roaring Brook Press with Macmillan. If you want to see a whale, and this is Aaron's book that's coming out soon, we also have um, the award winning "A uh, Sick Day for Amos McGee," um, the book that started the collaboration um, for picture books with with Phil and Aaron. which started it all? Um, we heard about that in the last half hour because of a kitchen table sketch. So a sick day for Amos mcgee um we've got hello my name is ruby um by phil which will be out next september bear has a story to tell um by phil and aaron cream tuna fish and peas on toast <laughs> by phil and then it's spring by aaron um with julie an uh, uh, author jonathan and the big blue boat a home for bird do i I think that covers it. I think it. that's it. They're amazing. Everybody's got to go Go to Nicholas Books or other... What are your favorite shops to go find
2: picture books when you guys go? Oh, or are there some in Detroit? Well,
0: or uh, Are
1: you going to start with Kaleidoscope?
2: Well, when I was in school... Yeah. Um, Kaleidoscope Books was on State Street. It's in Carytown now, but it was on State yes. Street for oh, years.
0: I miss that it moved just that yeah. little bit. And right.
2: when, when people ask, a lot of times people ask me if I studied children's literature, and the answer is no. Um, but in a way I did, because I was in Kaleidoscope Books, which is probably the greatest resource in North America for used, uh, rare, and out-of-print children's books. Mm-hmm. And so many of the books that Aaron and I became uh, influenced by Uh, You couldn't find at Borders or Barnes & Noble because they're out of print or they're, uh, you know, not current titles. Uh, But in the the dusty, dusty stacks of Kaleidoscope, there's just this wealth of knowledge and information just waiting for you. And so uh, Kaleidoscope has always been the place I go to for unlikely inspiration uh, to see what's new. And Nicola has a real nice uh, children's book section um, and now we've got Literati downtown. Yes. So we're really excited did, about them. I
0: didn't know if they had a children's section they for do. some
1: reason.
2: They do yeah. good. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do. It's they do. They have
1: everything. I mean, oh, everything is pretty small.
2: Yeah, the store is small. and he, The sections are small, but everything is beautifully curated. Yeah, if you very haven't well been there chosen. yet, uh, the store is beautiful. It's fantastic. I think they're going to be around for 50 years.
0: <laughs> Thank goodness. Thank Because good, that's what we need some more... Bookshops, and yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned Kaleidoscope too. How did you guys know about it? Did you just wander in off of
2: State Street, or did someone tell
0: you to go? I'm sure but, you and now, now it's in Carytown.
2: Yeah, yeah. I've always been kind of a wanderer, so I'm sure I just wandered in, um, probably to avoid class, uh, which w- <laughs> seems like a pretty likely scenario. Um, We've all done that. Now. <laughs> but but I can really list books that I that I found there that. Um, really changed my perspective uh, on bookmaking. Yeah. Um, the first book that really changed how I make art that I found there was uh, Eric Carl book called uh, when the mountain meets no. no, the bird that loved the mountain. Sorry. Love the mountain.
1: So Eric Carl, for those of you who might not know uh, is the author of the very hungry caterpillar, which probably now all of you know, um, and uh, But he made a lot of other books, too, and is still making very good books.
2: Yeah, it was just one of his lesser-known titles. And yeah. I had known who Eric Carle was before, and I was familiar with his work. But just seeing it outside of the context of his most well-known work, I think, made me see it in a different light, and it made me want to try collage art. And I really spent the next three years in art school um, working on becoming a collage artist. And luckily for me, uh, there wasn't a, an illustration program at U of M, but there were illustration courses all taught by the same person, which was uh, a man named William Bergard, which people around Ann Arbor will know for his uh, his 20 years of work on the Ann Arbor Festival posters. Uh, so he is a really accomplished collage artist. Um, so I was really lucky to sort of fall into that relationship um, at the art school, uh, but all because of Kaleidoscope Books, really.
0: Yeah. So you never know where you're going like, to, like you said, unlikely inspiration. Yeah. But...
2: Yeah, you can learn everything you need to know about literature with a library card and a sense of discovery. <laughs> yeah. um, and Ann Arbor is such a great place to just uh, sort of like supplement your education. Um, I've really become sort of a booster for this town, I think, <laughs> over the last few years. When we moved back, in fact, we 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 hadn't intended to move no. back um, for longer than a few weeks. We were just sort of in between um leases and we didn't have a place to live and we thought you know what this has just been a really stressful time let's
1: this was after the disastrous um mountain living for a year that was similar to the shining (laughs) and then um
2: yeah so uh, we yeah and so we didn't murder each other we got out of there alive
1: no and we still uh, like each other
2: and yeah we headed back to ann arbor uh, just to stay in a, f- a friend of a friend's apartment for what was gonna be a few weeks. And when we got back, it was the summer festival had just started and we realized, wow, this is a really great town.
1: Yeah, my shoulders sort of released from being near my
2: ears and we- Blood pressure stayed. just dropped. <laughs> yeah. And, but it, it's this really, it's really just almost a perfect place. I mean, aside from the months of uh, January, February, March, yeah, where, you know, it can get a little bit like The Shining here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> are you are you in, Are you having a, a picture book that you're making
0: about Ann Arbor, or or maybe this barn? Like, is that starting to figure in in some of the imagined landscapes? Not not so much specifically. So.
2: However, I think the story um, bear has a story to tell, which I wrote and Aaron illustrated. I think did in a lot of ways flow out of living back in Michigan. Yeah, Cause it's really a it, it exists in a natural landscape. The the trees. It was funny. Our editor. Uh, wanted Aaron to redo one illustration because he said he'd never seen a tree that looked like that. And I said, well, you haven't been in northern Michigan (laughs) um, where there are rows upon rows of uh, WPA forests that look just like that tree. Um, So we had to get him out of New York City so that he could see a
1: tree again. Yeah. (laughs) So he came and visited last summer. Um, But I think that we're always influenced by what's around us, so you never really know. The block that Amos McGee lives on when you... um, when you see where his little tiny house is and there are buildings that have been built around it, is actually the block that we lived on in Brooklyn. Um,
0: so you never know what will end up in the books. Yeah. And and Phil, how did you then meet Neil? Like what was, because how, if somebody's thinking, how do I get into the picture book yeah. industry? Well, well, our
2: path is not going to help them, no, unfortunately.
1: We, yeah, we can't give you very good advice. Uh, the first part can, yeah. sort of.
2: Well, I mean, there are things you need to do. One thing is you need to just read children's books as many for as thousands basketball. of hours. Yeah. And that's the critical step that so many people miss is just knowing your craft. Yeah. Um, it, it sounds like a fun job to people, and so they want to just dive right in. And I understand that because I was diving right in when I was 15 and 16 years old, yep. but making things that were terrible and probably never should have seen the light of day. Um, so
0: you were trying <laughs> to make picture books then, yep. like yeah. literal,
2: tr- or or more like graphic novels or zines, or, well, or was it? I became interested in picture book making when I was in high school. Yep, and it became it's been pretty much a singular obsession since then. And I met Erin in high school, and she was really on the same track.
0: Yeah, both of you. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, very
0: strange. How, yeah, <laughs> I wonder like. could... What was was it about the world of imagination or how images were primary? Or what do you think we had two different moments.
2: You had an actual moment. I had an actual moment that I can think of and I, I we had a really great art teacher we shared, uh the same art teacher in high school, um, who was always trying to just expose the kids to as many things as possible. we were lucky enough to go to a school that really funded the arts well. And so you could do ceramics. You could do uh, darkroom photography, wow. theater, yeah. uh, weaving. And it was all just about very any, small.
1: Yeah, just... But if you wanted to do it, you could do you it. You could
2: experiment with anything. Yep. And um, I think I was, I, I had an hour-long class, maybe my sophomore year, that was sort of an independent study. And he plopped uh, a little pamphlet in front of me that was just sort of like a three- or five-page fold-out uh, pamphlet that showed the process that Sendak used to create *Where the Wild Things Are*, and sort of showed you know early sketches um, that and how it led to the finished book. And I can't really explain what about that spoke to me, but something about that I knew instantly that's what I wanted to do. And I think, you know, as I analyze it now, you know, I can pick little things about what it is about picture books that sort of continue to fascinate me. Um, but really, you know, I think. It's just in your DNA, or it's not. Um, and for me, it is.
1: Um, and for me, it was a slower thing. I uh, I loved picture books. I loved art, and I was always drawn to them. And I never grew out of them. Um, my mom uh, never took them off. Never took picture books off my shelf in my bedroom, which is really important um in fact we were just talking to a librarian a little while ago who said that she caught her high school daughter who was a freshman this year in high school going through her own picture books and and it was because she was you know experiencing high school for the first time it's difficult and she just needed a moment where she could think okay i've gotten through other stuff before a little vacation um for her emotions probably um so for me it was that i I could never shake them i went to art school and i studied uh very serious painting i thought i was going to be a very serious painter and um, i like your voice your own (laughs)
0: voiceover for that Yeah,
1: yeah so um and then uh but i just couldn't i i just couldn't deny uh how much i loved these these objects um and so I, when I was in college, I started to work for a uh, children's bookstore in New York City that's been open for thirty some years and it's um, legendary. And um, what's its name there? It's called Books of Wonder.
0: What in a, New York? What a wonderful name! Yeah,
1: if you've ever seen the movie You've Got Mail, it was based on that bookstore. Except that that bookstore still exists, and the one in you, You've Got Mail had to close. Um, but anyways, I worked there, uh, and that's where we met all the people who helped us get published. Which yeah. is why we can't help you get published. <laughs> yeah, there was just a steady
2: stream of of employees at that store that were all being published by Neil Porter. Yeah, um, oh, and nice. it was one person passing the work of another along, and so my friend, uh, our friend George O'Connor, who's a graphic novelist, uh, passed my work along. That's how I got a deal, and then I passed Aaron's work along. Aaron passed Julie's work along, yep. and I believe all- there there's five or six of us now yeah. that all came out of that store. I didn't actually work there, but I was I was there enough. He was that married I kind in. Did yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> so uh so we all we all sort of paid it forward and um and now we're all published a few or last year we ended up in a conference together um with our publisher in chicago and it was a really interesting moment because we were all we've all been friends for over a decade now and uh and in, and we were all suddenly instead of shelving books we were all at, there as as the authors it was it was fascinating
0: Oh, well, that must have been a wonderful. It really moment. was. Yeah, that was that at AWP then, the the in Chicago, or was it a? No, actually, local? it
1: was that one was a writers or a teachers conference. I don't remember. We we travel a lot now.
0: Yeah, it all starts oh. to. be <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. So lots and, of panels, and that's and all new. Of-
1: yeah, yeah. But the traveling is new for in
0: the last couple of years.
1: we, we travel a lot more than we used to.
0: Well, we'll have to see what happens in the stories. So, well, let's take a short break, and okay. we'll be right back. Today on the show, we have Philip Stead and Aaron Stead here with their wonderful books. For example, A Sick Day for Amos McGee, um, If You Want to See a Whale, Hello, My Name is Ruby. We'll be right back. you've got living writers if you've joined us now i'm so glad you are and to fill you in philip and Aaron stead are here phil and Aaron stead um we've got their wonderful picture books here on the table um before us if you want to see a whale hello my name is ruby a sick day for amos mcgee um just to name a few um and the music that you're hearing, Phil has composed and plays. And this is available on your website, right, guys? Is it?
2: Yeah. yeah. The, uh, I, I do a, a song for each book that we do, um, and it's available for a free download through my site. So you can go to com and just click on the link for free music, and in a matter of minutes, you can, <laughs> you can have five whole minutes of music.
0: And would you ever have some of the... the the illustrations when you were talking about doing the book trailers mm-hmm. will you have some of the
2: pictures moving with with the music yeah. or it, yeah we i sort of make them i don't have a lot of skills
0: uh no, making on. these things i don't have
2: an animation background or anything like that but for the book trailers we kind of take the old reading reading rainbow, reading rainbow approach yeah. um or the ken burns effect you oh. know where just you just pan kinda, you pan <laughs> pan and scan yeah um but, you know, it really doesn't have to be more complicated than that. I think when we try, not we, but the broader we try to make books into something they're not, um, we do the books a disservice. Yeah. Books books are a thing that are supposed to leave room for the imagination and supposed to leave room for the reader to, to complete them, I think. Um, so I don't think overproduction actually would, would be too helpful.
0: No. Well, and, and Aaron, you mentioned the book as an object, like mm-hmm. it was something about the objectness of it that um i, I don't know that, that that draws you yeah and so what can you say more about that because i think you're right because you guys even when at the beginning of the program when we started talking about there's something that works like yeah. 32 pages or the particular size as you're holding it in your hands yeah. or
1: um well i i think we approach it um first i guess that we think about the trim size of the book uh for each story and
0: and uh, the trim size is the actual the actual size of the book. Yeah, road, the uh, height yeah. width ratio.
2: Yeah. Okay. Um, and there are there are there are restrictions even to that. Um, you don't want to be too big. You don't want to be too small. If you want Barnes and Noble to carry right, your book, where will they put you on the shelf? Right. If you uh, so, you kind of have to have those kind of things in mind a little bit. Right. Um, if if you want your book to reach people, um, but but there is still quite a bit of freedom um, compared to the world of adult fiction, let's say where. There are a lot of just standard sizes. You see a lot of very standard size books. Um, um,
1: but this restriction that you have with the thirty-two pages and the size of the book, um, and the length of the words within the story, um, it it all adds up to this this thing. And I guess the the thing that I love about picture books is that I get to make art that people get to own or borrow, and and that it, and that a kid especially gets to take home. And, um, and have their time with it. Um, a lot of times we'll do uh, signings, and our audience tends to be between, I don't know, one and a half and ten. And um, on the younger perspective, the one and a half, two year old, three year old, um, they don't care who we are, uh, and they shouldn't. Um, They don't understand that we made the book. To them, the book just exists. Yes. And that's my favorite thing about it. And so parents tend to worry because their kid doesn't care about meeting us. And they say, but this is their favorite book. And and we we say, it doesn't matter Um, because it's theirs. I mean, they don't, they don't, I don't want them to know that I made the book. I want them to think that it.
0: It's their book. It's their book. yeah. Yeah.
1: That's the world that they get to live in for that, you know, five minutes. And um in my case, I make very quiet books, so I'm assuming that that five minutes is their downtime. Uh, but you've made a couple of louder ones. Yeah,
0: so, so what does that mean? Yeah.
2: Uh, what it means to make a louder book? <laughs> uh, well, the, my first book comes to mind, so we might as well talk about that elephant in the room. Uh, Cream, tuna, fish, and peas on toast is my most despised book that we have published. Amos McGee was the book that came out directly following, and that is by far and away our most... Uh, Beloved book
1: and uh, you know I mean successful, but um, also just it has the widest audience
2: yeah it just seemed um, we,
1: which it, was completely out of our hands and uh, how do you know this
0: is it well for it, one thing people, the, write and tell you or the numbers on well I mean different sites?
1: It, a lot of it has is attached to the award that it won yes um,
2: some of it was surprising though even before the award we had expected a sick day for Amos McGee to not do well and our publisher expected it to not do well because it's a very sick day (laughs) well it's a (laughs) very quiet book at Um, the time
1: it was even I mean in 2010 well you make picture books two years before they get published
2: so yeah Um, so we were starting right as the economy was really doing poorly and that was really hitting (laughs) the publishing world hard yeah so there was a lot of uh, negativity in general um, around the book world and then here we were making this book. That was Whisper Quiet. Or, yeah, Whisper Quiet and doesn't have a child as, as the protagonist, nope. which is sort of unusual. Oh, right, um, right. And, and it was a debut book. It, right. it was going to be my second book, but it was Aaron's first book. And so there really was no expectation that it would do well, and that was okay. I mean, you, you, don't, you don't expect your that, debut book to do right. that well. Um, but it started almost immediately... Uh,
1: it was reviewed very positively. And then there's a, just like any other form of anything, there's a there's a whole blogosphere of, of children's lit. And uh, a lot of the blog posts were, and the reviews also, um, they all had the sentiment that I love this book, but nobody else will. And it was this idea that, like, I found this book. It's a secret. I love it. But <laughs> no one else is going to find it. You're never going to see it. And no one else is going to like it.
2: Yeah, I mean, but, but it was odd t- because this started happening... All the time. ...almost globally. Yeah. Um, before the book was even... Had even hit the shelves here in the U.S., uh, it had been picked up by five different foreign publishers. And
1: and, uh, and uh, we don't mean to say this in a... Uh
2: This was all, it's like watching your kid go off to kindergarten.
1: this is completely... And and
2: the kid comes back, you know...
0: (laughs) Superstar. (laughs) Yeah, comes back a a decade later
2: as valedictorian. Right, Um, right. You know, your book goes out in the world and you have no control over it. Because I think that all of our books, you know, we've put our heart and soul into. And you watch some of them do very well and some of them uh, do very poorly and you really can't control.
0: So whisper quiet, though.
2: Is it because maybe kids or people need that? Time, you know, we, we look back now and we kind of make, uh, in so, hindsight, we kind of decide what it was that made it yeah, work. But, but I,
1: I, I also tend to think that we're the least uh, aware of why or how this happened. Yeah, and compared I to think other people, s- as makers, yeah, yeah,
2: exactly like sending your kid off to school. I yeah. think that parents have the absolute worst perception of who their children are, and that's exactly <laughs> how I feel about my books. That yeah. I have a very poor perception of. What they actually are. Because you're they too go close out. to
1: them. Yeah, you yeah. know all
2: the mistakes. Uh, you know them too well. You yeah. know their flaws. And uh, it's really hard as the maker to look past those kinds of yeah. uh, things that you know.
1: But we have had moments where we realize, oh, this is things are going, going well. Things are okay. Yeah. Uh. But Amos, I, I Amos kind of blew them all out of the water, especially. Yeah. I think was it last year that President Obama read it, <laughs> and yeah. I think that was when we were like, oh, okay, so this yeah. is some, this is something now. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: They 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 the read Easter a sick egg day Bowl. for Amos McGee at the Easter Egg Roll last year, and that's when we. I think that was the moment when we really realized we have no control <laughs> over our life. <laughs> over, over our life. Um, yeah. But getting back to my first book, which even in the wake of a sick day for Amos McGee, still hasn't sold any copies. Um, it's the. Huh. It's actually based on a true story. And um, they'd be next to each other. They'd be near each other. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah they're the exact yeah. same size, weight. Yep. They they get shelved right next to each other. But uh, the same two copies, as far as I can tell, of Cream, Tuna, Fish, and Pizza and Toast have been sitting at Nicola's books wallowing <laughs> for, for two years. And I'm just waiting. Usually at every signing we do, one person buys one. Yeah. And like I always end up you know, shaking that person's hand and giving them the whole backstory of the whole story, because I feel (laughs) like they're... The
1: the difficult thing about Cream Toon Fish and Peas on Toast is that kids love it, because um, kids love it for the same reason that adults hate it, which is that the adult in the book is behaving very poorly. (laughs) And the kids in the book are fine.
2: Yeah, so it's actually based on a true story uh, from my family history about how my grandpa Jack uh, buried his least favorite meal in the backyard... Uh, and then carved a headstone for it that says, Here lies cream tuna fish and peas on toast. Uh and that casserole dish is actually still buried uh in the yard on Devonshire Street in Dearborn.
1: Yeah. Um, they all know about it. Yeah, too. actually
2: the the people that live in that house now actually came to my first signing. Yeah. They had heard um <laughs> and they wanted to they wanted to meet me. But uh <laughs> had they tried to excavate it? Did they dig it up? No, around? they want to leave no, it there, I guess. Yeah. So they uh There's a lot of negativity in the book. And it actually ends. I mean, page 32, the final pages of the headstone. Um, And the book is sort of told in sort of like a raucous, cheerful kind of sing song way, Um, which is, I think, why I can uh, why the kids that I read it to relate to it because they get to, oh, yes. they're in on the joke. Yeah, um, the uh, kids in the story, which are my real aunts and uncles as children, yeah, um, are completely calm and composed. And it's only Jack and his wife Jane that really have no control over the situation. Um, but the the use of the word hate in the book, which I use several times, um, apparently that's a buzzword. That, yeah, that uh, didn't go over well. Yeah, the, the sort of. In parenting, there are different trends in parenting, and a recent trend has been that you can't use words like hate. But I used it several times, and,
1: and I understand it to a point, which is that I understand that it's it's a you know it's a trigger word. You don't want kids running around saying it about certain things, and you don't want to teach it in yeah. a way. But but casseroles are disgusting. Besides that, you can't avoid it either. I, if if this silly. Extremely silly story opens up a door for how you can explain this is when you can use this
2: word And this is when you shouldn't or you can't or you 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 know um, yeah. I, I think it boils down to respecting the intelligence respecting the of your audience yep. I think f- even a five-year-old knows the difference between hating their dinner and hating a person right um, And they might not have the the broad vocabulary to express that but they know the difference
1: and they might not even have the emotional control to always Express it in the right way, but those are, all, those are all, that's
0: parenting, that's learning. Yeah. So, and these are wonderful books to, to be bedtime stories or morning stories or middle of the day stories. <laughs> um, shall we hear a, a couple of lines from A Sick Day for Amos McGee as we, we go out?
2: All right, we'll, uh, we'll start Amos McGee here, we'll send him off to work. Okay. <laughs> Amos McGee was an early riser. Every morning when the alarm clock clanged, he swung his legs out of bed and swapped his pajamas for a fresh-pressed uniform. He would wind his watch and set a pot of water to boil, saying to the sugar bowl, A spoonful for my oatmeal, please, and two for my teacup. Belly full and ready for the workday, he'd amble out the door. Every day, Amos waited for the number five bus. Next stop, City Zoo, the bus driver would call. 6 a.m., right on time, he'd reply. Amos had a lot to do at the zoo, but he always made time to visit his good friends. We'll leave it there. Thank you
0: so much, Phil and Aaron, for being on the program today. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, um, It's been wonderful. We'll we'll just say that that was from A Sick Day for Amos McGee that Phil just read. other books for you to look out for. Aaron's um, new book will be coming out in early May. If you want to see a whale, Roaring Bo- Brook Press. All of these titles available next September. Hello, my name is Ruby. Um, now you can go to Nicola's Aliterate, um, and maybe in the future Kaleidoscope Books, <laughs> right? And these some of these guys might have uh, be there for someone to discover in you know decades to come. Um, Bear has a story to tell. Um, creamed tuna fish and peas on toast which we were just talking about kids run out and get that one a home (laughs) for bird Jonathan and the big blue boat and then it's spring Um, so again thank you so much to Aaron Stead Phil Stead Um, please come back and see us again on Living Writers thanks for having us (laughs) until next time I'm T (laughs) Hetzel.
2: music show is a very
0: cool show that happens every wednesday night from 9 to 11 p.m right here on wcbn fm ann arbor every week we have a live
2: band performing in the studio that's from around here and we'll even play your band on the show if you send us your cd tune in every wednesday at nine for the local music show
0: This is Free Speech Radio News for Wednesday, April 10, 2013. In Los Angeles, I'm Dorian Marina. Coming up, President Obama releases his $3.7 trillion budget. While it eliminates subsidies to fossil fuel companies and raises some taxes, critics say it fails to address the root causes of U.S. debt and plans to cut Social Security will hurt the nation's poor. Advocates join the family of a 16-year-old shot and killed by U.S. Border Patrol agents in Nogales. They're calling for a full investigation and an end to abuse and shootings. And we'll go to Indian-administered Kashmir, where residents are pushing for police to stop the use of pepper gas following injuries and several deaths. Those stories and more coming up.
2: I'm Jess Burns with headlines for FSRN. Thousands of immigrant rights advocates are in Washington, D.C. today demanding lawmakers maintain forward momentum on the issue of immigration reform. The All In for Citizenship rally is being backed by unions, faith groups, and human rights organizations across the country. Attorney Nick Katz with Make the Road New York says the Obama administration's deferred action status for immigrants brought to the U.S. as children is buying much-needed time. But he says Congress needs to repair the broken immigration system and improve on this temporary fix. I mean, it's giving them work authorization, which is incredibly important. And it's giving them some protection from deportation, which is also important. But it's not giving them a path to citizenship, which any kind of comprehensive immigration
0: reform that, that's being talked.